A Light to the Nations is a production of the Ephesus School Network. Hi, and welcome to episode six of A Light to the Nations. I'm Father Fred Shaheen, your host for this podcast. In the Gospel of Mark, we learn about the death of John the Forerunner and the specific circumstances surrounding it in the middle of a section that otherwise deals with Jesus sending out his 12 to do the work of preaching and healing. In fact, the details of the beheading of St. John are not part of the narrative arc, but are presented in chapter 6 as having happened at an earlier, unspecified time. In Mark, we learned back in the first chapter that John had been imprisoned. So here, the story about why John had been imprisoned and how he died interrupts the natural flow of the narrative. Let's hear Mark chapter 6 verses 14 to 30. Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is the prophet or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her, because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately, she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. That last verse, verse 30, where the apostles come to Jesus and report to him, P 
picks up where verse 12 and 13 left off. So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The story of the Baptist's beheading interrupts the narrative about Jesus sending out his twelve to do the work of preaching and healing. In scripture, everything is written with a specific intention, and nothing is done haphazardly. If we hear chapter 6 of Mark and think this is odd the way the text seems to insert the story of John's death into a section dealing with the activity of the apostles, we should know that its seemingly odd placement serves a specific purpose. This interruption is intentional on the part of the writer of Mark. Let's experiment and hear verses 12 and 13 followed by verse 30. Let's, in a sense, eliminate verses 14 to 29 that talk about the Baptist's beheading. Starting with verse 12, So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things both what they had done and what they had taught. I just read verses 12 and 13 and then jumped to verse 30. I completely eliminated verses 14 to 29 that deal with the death of St. John the Forerunner. If we were hearing this with verses 14 to 29 eliminated, we wouldn't even miss them. The narrative would still move along. And for scripture, whenever that happens, if you can eliminate a section and not miss it, it doesn't mean that it's negligible or not necessary, but on the contrary, it means we should pay attention to it because it's very important and the authors put it in that position, interrupted, inserted, placed it where it otherwise wouldn't belong to get our attention. So we want to look at why Verses 14 to 29 are placed in the middle of a narrative that otherwise deals with a different topic. Why are we hearing about the death of St. John the Forerunner in the middle of a narrative about the mission to Jesus' twelve? One clue as to why this section is placed here in the middle of chapter 6 is the repetition of Herod mistaking Jesus for John. It says that King Herod heard of him, referring to Jesus, for his name had become well known, and he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, therefore these powers are at work in him. Then we hear that other people said it is Elijah, others said the prophet or one like the prophets, and then we hear a second time in verse 16, Herod affirms, this is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. So according to Herod, Jesus and John are indistinguishable. Now we know from the Gospels that St. John is the forerunner of Jesus. He is the one who was sent before to prepare the way of the Lord, to make his path straight, to prepare a people for the coming of the Christ the Messiah, 
and he is indeed not the Christ. In the Gospel of John, St. John goes out of his way to affirm that he is not the Christ. He does not deny it, but rather he affirms, I am not he. And then we hear in all of the Gospels something to the effect that one is coming after me who is greater than me. He is mightier than me because he was before me and the thong of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John is not the Christ. He is the one who prepares the way for the Christ. But from the perspective of Herod, Jesus is indistinguishable from John. The Christ is indistinguishable from the forerunner. And the forerunner thus becomes an image of the Christ. He is what an apostle is supposed to be, presented literarily as a perfect image of his master. Where we encounter in the Gospels Jesus' twelve failing to understand, being corrected by the Lord, being redirected, and once again failing to get it. Here, by contrast, we hear about John, the one who preceded the Christ by coming into the world to prepare the way for him, completing his apostolic mission to perfection, which in terms of the gospel means death. So it's very significant that we hear about the death of St. John, the forerunner, as a perfect apostle. He precedes even Jesus, his master, in death. And according to the scriptural teaching, it's just as the Lord said it would be for his twelve and for anyone who would follow him. Anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He teaches. And he says in chapter 13 of Mark, Watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. Matthew pushes this even further and says in chapter 24, They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations. For my sake. And so it shouldn't be surprising at all that John, the forerunner, as the perfect disciple of Jesus Christ, precedes him in death, that we hear about his death in the Gospel of Mark. But here we also hear two references to eventual resurrection. Literarily, the Gospel of Mark prefigures Jesus' resurrection from the dead and John's eventual resurrection, along with all those who belong to Jesus Christ. The author does that by twice mentioning Herod's impression that Jesus is John the Baptist risen from the dead. In verse 14, we hear, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. And then almost immediately after, in verse 16, but when Herod heard, he said, This is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. And then in verse 29, the authors intentionally use, they choose to use the word corpse. When his disciples, John's disciples, heard of it, 
that is his beheading, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. The deliberate choice of the word corpse over body is to signify that although John has been beheaded, although he has been put to death by Herod, although his disciples are burying him, they cannot touch his body, which belongs to his Lord and Master Jesus Christ, and which will be raised up at the end in the resurrection from the dead. It's a fantastic literary device that paints a picture of John suffering death as a faithful disciple, as a perfect apostle. It's the fate of the ones who follow after Jesus Christ, but in this case, preceding him in death as the perfect mirror image of the master. And it also looks forward to his resurrection by mentioning resurrection twice and intentionally using the word corpse instead of body. In the Apolitikion, in the Orthodox Church of St. John the Forerunner, we sing, After suffering with joy in behalf of the truth, thou didst proclaim even to those in Hades the God who appeared in the flesh, who taketh away the sin of the world and granteth us great mercy. This is depicting St. John the Forerunner working as an apostle, continuing to do what he was sent to do even after death, preaching to those in Hades. He is bound like everyone else, awaiting resurrection, awaiting the return of his master, but while he is there, he continues to preach the gospel as he was sent to do. And it's interesting in the iconography of our church, if you look at an icon of Holy Saturday, sometimes we call it uh, the Anastasis or the harrowing of Hades. We see Jesus descending into the lower depths of Hades and pulling Adam and Eve from the tombs. And he's surrounded by other figures, kings, patriarchs, figures from the Old Testament. We see King David and we see King Solomon and we see John who is depicted with his hands raised toward Jesus, but looking away as if he is indicating Jesus, but preaching him as raised up from the dead to those in Hades, giving hope to the ones who are awaiting resurrection from the dead. It's really a remarkable um, depiction. It's a powerful presentation, and it corroborates the way John is presented, particularly in this section of the Gospel of Mark, where he is the disciple who precedes Jesus even in death, and he is faithful. And the fact that King Herod thinks that Jesus is John raised from the dead means that John himself is a perfect image of his master and a faithful disciple. This concludes this episode of A Light to the Nations. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I look forward to meeting with you again soon. Thank you for listening.